Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. Well, good morning. I'm glad you decided to join us this weekend as we launch into something new and something bold into our fall semester. Uh, we have so many things going on, and, and I hope you guys will get connected to, to some of those opportunities that we have here at the Loft, but here with us at our church, because we're going to try to be experiencing something huge this semester. Change lives what? That change lives. That's right. Besides doing life together in groups in a couple weeks, uh, or by serving, by going out and doing some fun things through Love Loud Now, or maybe just serving here on Sunday mornings, man, uh, it, it's always better when we're connected and we're doing life together. So I'd encourage you, man, to be a part. Get connected at Connection Point. Ask some simple questions. Where you can you, you get plugged in? And just see what God does with those things. Uh, if you're new with us, there is no better day than today to jump in and, and join us this morning up in the loft. Uh, because this is what we like to do. We like to do some series. And when we do series, we talk about a subject. And the subject this, this morning is different, right? It's different. And we like to do series in a way that sort of just speak on something for the next four or five weeks. And just getting here in the very beginning is awesome because it's almost like you're getting in there for those little credits at the very beginning of the movie so you don't miss out on anything, you know? And so I'm really excited about you being here this morning because I promise you're not going to be disappointed. Um, over the next couple weeks because it's going to be an amazing experience if you're here and you're leaning in and you're trusting God and you really want to be what? Different. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to look at the book of First Peter. Now, a lot of people just don't really look at First Peter. Uh, so if you got your Bible, you can go ahead and start sliding that way. But, you know, First Peter is a great book of the Bible. Uh, we sort of just sort of leave it out some days because there's always these great gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And there's this book of Psalms and Proverbs, right? But we're going to look at First Peter and see how God is calling us as Jesus followers uh, to be different in this world. In this world. And so what I want to do is, is I want to give you the context uh, for the book of First Peter. Now then, let's just really ask a hard question this morning. Let's see how many Bible scholars we got out there this morning. Uh, does anybody know who wrote First Peter? Uh, John. Not bad, not bad, right? So it's not a trick question. Some of you are like sweating bullets, like he's really going to ask me this question. Uh, yes, I am. You know, it's, it's in the answer, so I'm helping you out, students. You know, this is one that's really popping off the page. And it's Peter, right? Peter. Peter wrote this book, and if we really dive into what Peter is and who Peter is and, and what Peter was all about, I think Peter, honestly, gets a bad rap in life, especially in the, in the biblical world, in church world, Right? When people think of Peter, what's the first thing that you think of? Right? Come on, if you've been around church, what is the first thing you think of? You don't think of all the good things he did. You think of what? Denying Christ. That's right. You think of the first thing that pops in your mind. cock a doodle do, right? The rooster crow. If you don't know that one, we need to read our Bible together. You know, we, we, we hear that rooster crow three times, right? We hear that rooster crow, and we're just like, yeah, Peter, he denied Christ. But also, if we know anything about the Bible... We know who Peter really was. We dive into who Peter was. He, you know, he was an uneducated fisherman. And, and, and he's, you know, some people would say he's, he's not faithful, right? Because he denied. Just because a guy wasn't formally educated doesn't mean that this guy was not sharp as a tack. I mean, let me say it again. This dude was sharp, man. He was smart. And here's what I can, I can really testify to this. Some of the smartest people that I've ever known did not go to college. I mean, literally, and possibly even fell out of high school. I mean, they, they are smart people in this world. 
Uh, a degree doesn't cut it always, but in, in this day and time where Peter was, he didn't have all that. He knew how to fish, and he had a business, and he was successful. Peter was smart, and he was a dirty, bearded, I can only imagine I'm saying that in context, you know, ruskly man. It was a fisherman. He probably, he loved Jesus, and he cussed a little. Just to be honest, he was a fisherman, right? Right? I'm just being honest. But because, he, but because he made that one mistake, and he got, when life got a little crazy, Peter, Peter gets a bad rap. But Peter was a huge, huge instrument and leader in the gospel in the first century church. He preached the word boldly where people dared not risk alone. Peter was a tremendous leader, and he was a zealous and courageous leader. And by the way, he was the only one to walk on water besides Jesus. He preached the gospel fiercely under fire when people said, don't do it no more. He just stood up and started going after it, chasing after it. Peter also deals with some of the more incredibly heavy theological issues in his writings. He challenged it, and he went after it. He just really attacked it. And especially as he's writing to a group of very hurting Christians, he talks about things like foreknowledge. He talks about divine election, sanctification, some big church words, right? Obedience. Now, we know what obedience is for us. He also talks about the blood of Christ. And then he dives into revelation. A lot of people really don't like to talk about it, but this day and time, it looks like everybody's a master of it. (laughs) On Facebook, social media, just being true. The world's coming to an end. Really? Read the Bible. Open it up. It's always been coming to an end. We just don't know the day and time, people. Are you with me? I'm fired up. I've watched way too much Facebook this morning. (laughs) Sick and tired of this stuff. They got a hurricane blowing. Yes, we, we love you guys. We're praying for you guys, and especially for my family down there. Hey, just stay safe and uh, put a coconut on your head. So, uh, you know, we know Peter was a, he was just a, he was a genius at what he did. We, 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 we know that there were, there's, there's, he just passionate what he, why he lived and he followed Jesus. And I just want to just really dive into two big ideas that emerged from his writings this morning, if we got some time together. He talks about the hope that we have in Christ. And he tells us this through this, this idea that we're called to be what? Say it with me, church. Different. That's right. We're called to be different from this world that we live in. We're called to be different in this world. And so here's just a little bit of, uh, of, of, of knowledge, of writing, and, and just understanding just a little bit of where we're, we're coming from, the angle, and, and just maybe just a little bit of the, the history that's going on in, in this, this time period. You see, 1 Peter uh, was written somewhere in the years of, of, of maybe 55, 60, 65 AD, somewhere in that time frame, okay? Uh, we don't know exactly, but we, we, we can track it down to that, that, that specific date and time. Um, and also during this time period, there was a, a reign of a very evil, evil and corrupt man known as Nero. Now, a lot of people in church world, they sort of know Nero, but if you go outside the church world, you don't know who Nero is. Nero is like your dog, your Labrador dog. I mean, that's just, that's what he is, right? Uh, but Nero, Nero could go down, if you don't know who Nero is, Nero could go down as one of the worst leaders of all times, 
Okay, some of you think about a president. No, 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 I'm, I'm talking about the worst leader of all time. Think of, think of somebody like Hitler, okay? Go Hitler and then add in Stalin, if you don't know who Stalin was, and then add in Ivan the Terrible, okay? Add all three of those together and you still ain't got this dude. That's how bad of a dude this cat was. Literally, Nero was one bad mama jama. And when he led, he just led with just fierce power. He thought power was where it was at. I mean, let's, let's just be real. If, if you know history, this guy killed his own mom publicly, just off with her head. Take her out. He killed his first wife, and more than likely, he killed his second wife. Something like, man, this, is, this dude's messed up. Yeah, he is. This guy's so evil that history believes that he actually burned down the city of Rome because he didn't get his own way during his power. Think about that. He burned down the city that he was in charge of because he didn't get his own way. You think someone had a temper temper? This dude was mean. And what we do know about this, this time in this era, that, that during July of 64 A.D., this big fire did break out, right? And it burned for six days straight. It's recorded in the, do- in the documents. And on the sixth day, the people finally got control of it. And they were able to put this fire out. But it ravaged the city. But then all of a sudden, it reignited and burned for another three days. And history tells us that they believe that Nero restarted the fire to finish what he started. That's how bad of a cat this dude was. And here's why. Because he didn't like what the Senate and the Congress was doing because he wanted to build something a different way. Is that not crazy? And so what happened was people started to blame Nero for all this. Eventually, people started to see that maybe he was behind this. But Nero was a pretty smart cat, right? He was really intuitive. And so during the the burning and everything, people started blaming pointing fingers. and And all of a sudden, Nero's like, wait a minute, I know of a people group. I know of a people group that can take the rap for this, and they're called the Christ ones. They're called the Christ followers. We can get them, because just a couple years ago, man, they, they, they were following, and they were doing all kinds of stuff, and they're not, they're not obeying the laws that we set out. Hey, let's, let's get these guys. I'm a, hey, it was the Christians. They did it. They did it. Even though you got dirt all over your hands, your hands are full of, of smoke. You're pointing the finger over here at the Christians. And so he led the chant, man. Christians did it. He said they did it. And so this already persecuted group and persecuted brutally in the season in which Peter was writing this letter. Just to give you an idea how crazy Nero was and how sick he was, among other things, he, he actually put animal skins, animal skins on Christians and put them in, you know, a, a dead animal skin. Think about that. And he put a, a dead animal skin on them and wrapped it up where they couldn't tear it off. And then threw them into a, a pit and locked them in a cage with wild animals, pack of wild dogs or lions. And just watched as they mauled these people to death. This guy was so sick, he would take Christians and, and, and dip them in hot wax. Not, not, not the wax you wax your eyebrows with, but hot wax. And then put them in a tree and tie them up like this. Tie them up and then light them on fire just to have a candle in the middle of the night. And this is true. He would light them on fire to illuminate and give an example of what you do when you come against Nero the king. 
so he could have a party. And they would out there be drinking and having their little wine party while literally people are dying and trees were burning up. This is the background. This is the context of the writings of 1 Peter. I know it's crazy. I know it's in the Bible. Some of you are like, I didn't know that at all. Some of you are like, is this really? It's all true. You need to open up the word and just sift it out and allow the word to penetrate your heart. But I promise you, this is what's going on in this day and time. Now, to understand who this message is for, as we dive into different, if I ain't got your, to- if I ain't got your attention yet, I- I'm going to put some tension in the room. Right? To understand who this message is for, essentially, it's for two groups of people. And those, those who are hurting right now, you're going through your own storm, right? You're going through your own hurricane. Maybe it's a hurricane of addiction or maybe it's a hurricane of just divorce. Maybe it's a hurricane of finances. or Maybe it's who have questions that are unanswered, right? Who, who have some trials. You're enduring something so difficult right now. You got your own hurricane. And maybe you just lost your job. Or maybe you know you're getting ready to lose your job. Maybe you got that big, huge C word that just popped up from the doctor's office. It's cancer. And maybe it might be tension on an important relationship that you have. And maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your own child heading in the wrong direction, and you know it, but you can't stop it. You want to, but you can't. It could be an emotional distress. And it could be even something worse. Maybe you're contemplating just to check out a life because the storm is just too powerful. If you're going through a difficult time right now, this message is for you. The second group of people, the second group of people that this message is for is, is for those who will one day go through a trial. And for those who will one day go through a trial. And, and, and that would be everyone in the room, right? Come on, raise your hand. You know that there's going to be a trial this week, next week, next month, right? You know it's coming. You even know maybe when it's going to start. Because it starts at 7 o'clock, waking up your kids tomorrow morning to go to school. Right? Come on, say amen, church. Yeah, that's right. You got some parents out there that know what it's like. It's hard. It's hard being a parent. But I'll tell you what's harder, being a single parent. Right? Yeah. It's difficult. It's got its own challenges. And it, and it would be for everybody in here because there's a trial coming. And I heard it said this way before. Either you're coming out of a trial, you're in the middle of a trial, or you're going to be there tomorrow. You choose. There's a trial coming. There's a hurricane of blowing. And we have the choice to be different. And I know there are people in this room right now that have their bumpers up like this. You're like, ah, I don't need this crap this morning. I don't need this. I I just, I don't need this. I got this. Did you hear that word? I got this. Some of you just already, you got, you're you're crossing, and you're not being crossed like this because now you're like, everybody's looking, so you're down like this. But you're crossing your heart. You've already checked out. You're already playing fantasy football. By the way, it starts today, right? You're, You're already checked out. And so I'm just asking you, because you're going through something huge right now, or you know it's coming. So can I ask you just to lean in, and let's trust the Holy Spirit together to do something only he can get the credit for, which is to draw closer to him today. And let's read 1 Peter together. 1 Peter together. 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1. And this is from the New Living Translation this morning. 
It's a letter from the letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And this letter from Peter is, is basically comes out, it comes out from this, this angle. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as what? Say that word with me. Foreigners. Come on, church. You're kind of dead this morning. Let's do it again. I'm writing, this, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as? That's right. What's a foreigner? What is a foreigner? In the provinces of where we're going, Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bethany, God, God's, the, the, the Father knew and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see this Greek word uh, that's translated as foreigners. This Greek word that's translated as foreigners is translated in so many ways in so many different Bibles depending upon what version of the Bible that you have. This word is literally translated as exiled, sojourners, aliens, strangers, or foreigners. In other words, Peter is saying you need to understand something, people, people who, who claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You need to remember this, you know, you need to remember this when, when that hurricane comes in and you're just crying out or when that, that storm comes and you're just like, man, this, this is horrible. This is a trial. I can't, I can't even go through it no more. Remember, this is not your home. This is not your home. You just got to go through this right here journey with him and trust him in the journey. And you got to be willing to go through it because sometimes it's painful. But remember, you foreigner, this is not your home. This is not your home. This is simply not your home. This is simply not your home. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a stranger to this world. You're a stranger to this world. You're a sojourner. You're just passing through it. You're you're heavenly creature serving a heavenly God, passing through this temporary world into our internal dwelling place that one day you'll be with your heavenly father who wants nothing more for you to be side by side with him and if this world is not your home therefore you will be different from this world you're called to be different from this world and for those of you that are followers of Christ this is really huge significant for us this morning so the question is what does it mean And so I believe this, you'll have different values than those around you. If you look around in the world today and simply you you, you see people that have different value systems, right? Even friends that you allow your your, your children to go hang out with them, you you probably ask them questions. Hey, do you stay up past 11? Are are they allowed to drink Mountain Dew? You know, I I mean, these are simple good questions for me and my family. I know what happens with me and when she drinks Mountain Dew. It's crazy, you know? Good luck. Uh, That's when we send her to nannies. So, uh, you know, different values than those around you, right? You have different values. You you need to be different. You have different morals. You have different morals than other people. Like the, when the, that, that office talk starts, you know, talking and, he, and you, you, you sneak up on them and you, or maybe you just walk down and all of a sudden they stop talking or, or maybe you join in as a Christian. Maybe you sort of lean in and, and then you, all of a sudden you get caught into the gossip. Hey, just because you didn't gossip and you joined in doesn't mean that you didn't participate. Now I'm stepping on toes. But it's true. If you're a Christ follower, you are different. You have different morals than other people. And I love the next one. You'll have a different belief system. You'll have a straight-up different belief system. 
And you, we believe in what? Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We just sang a song about it. You believe in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who basically came for us to follow. He, he came for us to just to, to learn and to listen and to lean in and trust and, and to, to literally allow him to be number one. You'll be different as a mom. You'll be different as a dad. You'll be different literally as a husband and wife team. You'll be different in the way you raise your children. The ways you relate to people, you'll be different. You, you'll be different literally in the, in the way you deal with someone who mistreats you. How you invest your money, how you choose to spend it, how you spend your time. You'll be different. You'll serve. You'll do things that doesn't make any sense on a Saturday morning by going over to the Overcomers baseball game and just cheering as long as you can. You'll invest your time wisely because you're different. Why? Because this world is not your home. You're called to be different. You see, I believe Peter's showing us that if you're in the middle of a trial, it's because this world is not your home. This world's not your home. You can have a different kind of faith when you go through something incredibly difficult and you can change lives simply because of your changed life. When you follow Jesus. See, what does it look like to have a different type of faith in trials? What does it look like? Remember who, who Peter is writing this to in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. He says this is, that we're going through it. So, so what? So be truly glad. Glad in the midst of this? Are you kidding me? Peter, man, we're, we're getting skinned alive. Literally. We're getting burned at the stake. Peter, come on. Are you kidding me? Do you know how painful this is to watch my mom get burned? You know how painful it is to watch my son get mauled? Peter, come on. Truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, he says. There's wonderful joy ahead, even through, or even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Many trials. I love that word. Not just one. Not just two. Many are coming your way for a little while. Notice the word little while. Why your life is like a vapor, right? The Bible says. Use it wisely. In other words, God may not make these temporary trials go away. Some of you are still dealing with the pain of a loss of a daughter or son, or maybe you're really close to your father or mother, and it just won't go away. But there is wonderful joy ahead, I promise. The day when you reunite with them in heaven. How cool is that going to be? I love I love this book that allows me to understand Levi Lusco through the eyes of a lion. Amazing book, and I would encourage you to read it. He loses his daughter. I just spoiled it for you. But he loses his daughter. But he never, he doesn't, he doesn't count no more days. Like this has been 4,000, you know, 200 days since I last seen her. He says, it's 4,000 more days. I get closer to seeing her. It's a total different concept because it's joy now. It's joy going down the road, and he just can't wait to get to heaven. But for now, there's a time, there's an appointment for him to preach the gospel fiercely, and he's changing lives. He's changing lives in America. 
but there's wonderful joy ahead. And then he's going to, sh- to show these trials. And then, he, then Jesus, God, the Father, is going to show that these trials have a purpose. He's going to show that they have a purpose. And these trials will show. Verse 7, it says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Hmm. Big word. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Now, then the opposite of genuine is what? Ungenuine, I guess, maybe, or false, right? Which would be a false type of faith. I've said this before, and we say it a lot here in the loft, and I I often use an an illustration from this right here to right here. Just from here to here. From here to here. It's about 18 inches. 18 inches. And there are people that call themselves Christians, but they are not at all. There is genuine faith, and then there's false faith. And where we live in Kentucky, in a part of the Bible Belt, we get into trouble because we know it here, but we don't live it here. You wonder why you're in a trial? You wonder why it's so painful? Have you ever seen the person that it always happens to? But they still go to church and it just, it always, another, uh, uh, uh. there's no joy whatsoever. I don't hear one thing of what God said. They, they can even sing songs. They know how to sing songs. They do. They praise him with the lips, but y'all know I'm here. Has your faith been really tested? Has your faith been really, really tested, like Peter says? It is being tested as fires test and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many, here it is again, many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Come on. If that doesn't get you pumped up, I don't know what will. I want to explore three different types of false faith for us this morning because I think it's important. I think it's important. And if you're taking notes, here you go. Right? Uh, the first one I would, I would want to call is an inherited faith. It's an inherited faith. This is, this is some, some of you might have. And this is where your mom was a Christian and my dad was a Baptist. And so we went to church some days. We went to Christmas and Easter for sure, you know, and a couple of times of year. We, we were the CEOs of church, right? So obviously I'm a Christian because that's just what I am. You inherited your faith. It's not personal, right? And, and, and you, so you, you've been challenged a little bit as you drift into high school and you start looking and you start to understand there's other cultures. You know, it's, it's bigger than just coming to Sunday school or coming to, to groups or coming to worship. And you start to say, well, I'm not Hindu, and I'm not a Muslim, uh, so I must be a Christian. I inherited it, right? You're good to go. Uh, uh, so my parents were, my grandma was, it was inherited into my faith. That's just my DNA. It's who I am. I've actually heard this said even this week. I was standing in line, check out, and I heard, uh, and they asked me what I did, and I explained, and I guess I'm a Christian. I said, guess? I, and, I, and I didn't say it that way, because that would have been bad, right? I, I, I did but I guarantee it, the expression on my face was priceless when he said, I guess. 
because I just sort of looked at him and the whole conversation shifted. I, I, I didn't know how to respond to that one. I guess I'm a Christian. And I went, you know, yeah, what the what? I did not have, an, I, didn't, I didn't know how to come back. I said, man, those stakes are, are they're, they're down on price. You know, they're pretty good. I mean, we might want to go back. I did not have a comeback for that one. But it's not your faith. Think about it. It's not. You inherited. Here's how I know this is true. Um, and for those who've experienced this, come on, you can nod your head if you want to. Think about when you went to high school or you drifted into college for those college students, right? When you drifted in, right? When you got into college, what happened? A lot of your friends, what? They stopped participating. They stopped going. They stopped engaging. Why? It was so passionate for them, even in high school. And you got the little Bible, and everybody prayed over it. And you, you got this little Bible, and, it's all closed, and you go into college, and then you just, it just sort of sits there. Never opened it. You studied biology and English and everything else, but you forgot to open up the one thing that you claim to be yours. Why? Because it's not yours. That's why. It's your parents' or it's your grandma's faith. I know a lot of people in this area, in this neck of the woods, literally are still hinged on great-great-grandma because they built the church. And maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's a family church that you grew up in. And this is up here, just like, what is this? This is so new to me, and it's just like firing on all cylinders right now. You see, it's not a genuine faith. It's not yours. And when that trial comes, it's going to suck. Because you don't know how to respond. It's not joy. It's painful. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to weigh you down. And you're going to turn on God. Second type of faith. Second type of faith is a shallow faith. A shallow faith. You see, Jesus talked about this in a story that he told in Matthew chapter 13. I love this story. He said a sower and a farmer, right? He went out to sow some seeds, to plant some seeds, and, and he said some of those seeds took root, right? And, and a little plant sprung up, but the roots didn't grow deep enough. And it was a shallow type of faith. So Jesus said when the worries of life and the deceitfulness of the wealth, of the love, of the things in the world came along, it sort of just choked out the plant and it, and it died. Why? Because the roots weren't deep enough. And that's exactly where some of you guys are. That's exactly where a lot of Christians are. And here's how I know Jesus' words are true. There are people sitting in here today that say, I'm all in, or they say they're fully devoted. But in nine months, where are they? Where are they? When trials come their way and that storm, that hurricane hits them, where are they? They're not trusting in God. They're trusting in their selves. That hurt that hits you so hard, your roots are not rooted in the Father. And they were just superficial. And you have no real roots to keep you deep and genuine in your faith. And you're just blown away, just like everything through that hurricane path. You see, listening to Air One or Caleb driving around that 90-degree curve out here on you know, the, the, the hills of Kentucky, praising Jesus down the hill all the way to your death is no fun. Just is not. Neither is coming from week to week and just getting food for one day. Church. 
Come on. Church is not listening to a podcast. You can't do this alone. You're supposed to have an intimate relationship this way and then deep-rooted relationships this way. So when you do get a trial, support comes around you. Support comes around you. You can sing praises and worship all day long in your car, but when that curve comes, you're going to know it. And you can act like you know the words of the song, but I promise you, when there's others singing around you and having the same beat, me and my buddy over here were trying to figure out the beat this morning of the song, so we clap with it, and we still couldn't figure it out. He's the drummer. So, I don't know what that says about our worship team, but all I know is this one thing. When we're doing it together, it's beautiful because we're either all off beat together or we're right in line with Jesus, and that's fun when it happens. It is beautiful. You see, the church is the body of Christ where we gather corporately to worship God. We strengthen one another to attack the world with the love of Jesus. And I plead with you to consider getting plugged into a group to begin to serve and to go out and love loud now because it's a difference maker. And I believe being connected with a group is the, is the purest form of the church. The disciples in Acts 2, they met in houses. They literally met in houses and they moved to house to house to house to house to house. And they grew daily because it was real. It was intimate. They impacted them and they impacted their culture and they craved it. They couldn't get enough of it. They didn't want to leave. And I love it when my small group meets, we go through the the stuff and we cry around the table. We, We literally just cry around the table. I know you think we're a bunch of babies, but we cry around the table some nights. Some nights we just have fun. We play games. Other nights we just, we eat. We do a lot of eating, by the way. We love food. But then there's just moments when we say it's time to go and it's time to, you know, say goodbye. And then two hours later, we're still in the kitchen for some odd reason. Because we love it. We love hanging out together and just growing deeper in our relationships. Get connected because I promise it will change your life. I'm asking you to take a step forward before the devil takes you a step back. Because I don't want you in nine months from now fighting some kind of addiction that you didn't think would come your way because you hit click. Because the marriage is all messed up and out of balance right now because you forgot to get on your knees with your wife. Or maybe your kids are hurting and they're going down a road of destruction, maybe doubting who is Jesus. Or you're just far from God because you need the strength of God's people around you. We're not going to have a shallow faith because we're, we're going to do this together to change the world. And it starts with you. The third thing is this. Conditional faith. Conditional faith. And some of you are like, what's that? It's not like hair conditioning. No, it's not that one. But it's conditional faith. It's those who would say, I believe in God if. Right? I love God as long as things are going my way. Uh, This is some of you, and you know people like this as well. And maybe this is you. And I talked to a friend of mine last week, and, and he said his wife left him, and, and he's lost his job. And, and how can I believe in a God who would allow that to happen to me? I'm like, man, that's conditional faith. That's conditional faith. That's, that's false faith. That's a shallow faith. There are those of you that have a false faith right now, and I believe that God brought you here today just to change that mindset. He wants you to have a genuine faith, not a conditional faith. When you put limits on God, (laughs) it's wrong. 
because I serve a limitless God. See, trials can be revealed the, uh, through the depth of your faith. I do believe that. Trials can be revealed through the depth of your faith. And, and if you're going through that difficult time, uh, of some of you may say, well, my faith is being tested right now. You ever heard somebody say that? My faith is being tested right now. They even posted on social media. Right? You know people like that? Ah, oh, it burns me up. I, 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 I just get in this moment of how is, is this, this God, how is God going to use this trial in your life? How's, how is God going to allow you to see the joy through the mess, in, the, in this messiness? And here's how I know it always happens out. If you're following God, he takes a mess and he turns it into a message. He just does. That's what God does. And it changes lives. And I feel like there are two different ways. Two different ways. Number one is trials reveal your faith. Trials reveal your faith. Let's look at it again in 1 Peter 1, 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. And I love to say it this way. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. I think it's funny that some people get up and say, oh, oh my faith is strong. I've been through this. They haven't been through any of that. But I, I lean into people that are a little bit older and wiser and balder than me. And you start to listen to them, right? And they say, man, this is what happened when this happened to my life. This was a season that was really rocky. But man, we put God at the center and it changed everything. My marriage was falling apart completely. And I just cried out to Abba Father because that's the last thing I had left. And he changed my husband. No, he changed me. He changed me. And then he changed my husband. That's the beauty of that story. I've seen it over and over again. A faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. In fact, that's what Peter, he, he, he had been tested. Even failed a little bit. Strengthened, regrouped, redeemed. Made new and he was completely transformed. In fact, let me show you. Uh, back maybe 25 years prior to Peter writing this book, Go back to the years before writing this book, and Peter was with his conversation with Jesus. It was recorded in Luke's gospel in Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. In other words, Satan wants to test you. And Satan wants to see what you're really made of, Peter. He wants to see what you're really made of. Listen, don't ever for a moment think your spiritual enemy is, is not scheming to take you away from God. When he says see something good, he wants to do nothing but come in and trip you up. Do you think it's coincidence that most pastors, believe it or not, are hooked on porn? Just being honest. Most of spiritual affairs happen literally because an affair happens in the church and then the whole church is... Do you, do you wonder why? He's going after the top dog. And I don't know why we view a pastor as a top dog. There's the problem. That's the issue right there. I am no greater or no less than anybody in this room. I just want to serve the Lord my God, my Father, and I want to preach the gospel until the day I die. And I'm going to do it with my wife by my side. And she's sometimes going to lead the way because she's stronger in areas that I'm not. And I'm humble enough to say that. Just being truthful. And by the way, she's beautiful. But this is true. He, he will attack from all angles. Don't ever think 
He's not attacking. Satan wants to sift you like weed. He wants to test you. He wants to see what you're made of, Peter. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Trials reveal your faith, and when you've turned back, in other words, when you, where you're not going to always get it right, Peter. When you're not always going to get it right, Peter, but you've turned back to strengthening your brothers, and you're going to love on them, and you're going to press forward, you're going to press on, because trials are going to redefine you. It's going to test you, and it's going to allow your faith to grow, Peter. How did God use the trial to transform Peter? God used the trials to strengthen him. What was the, one of the big trials, if we can remember? Well, Peter was always shooting off his mouth, and he would say at one time, Jesus, hey, if all the other disciples deny you, <laughs> I won't. I'm the guy, man. You're going to build the church of my name. <laughs> you know, that's who Peter was. I got your back. We're going to do this together. Man, we're going to charge the gates of hell. I will always be here. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, Jesus. What happened next? A middle school girl walked up and said, do you know Jesus? Uh-uh. I don't know who he is. Are you sure you don't know Jesus? Metal mouth, zits everywhere. You know, just come on, picture it with me. Middle school girl. I'm not saying that. It's every middle school girl could get in trouble. Middle school girl calls a bruskly huge dude that said, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. And he says, I don't know him. I don't speak like that. I speak like this. No, 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 you really do sound like them. You sound like the guys over there. You sound like a Jesus follower. I do not know, therefore, what you say. He changes his language. And through his eyes, he sees that, you know, Jesus sees his heart just being ripped out. Jesus brutally dies on the cross for Peter's sins and for our sins. And three days later, the stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. And in John 21, you see this meaningful encounter between the risen Christ and Peter. And Jesus said, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he says it one more time just for good sake. He, do you love me? And Peter just almost in shame. He gives him an assignment because he knows he's in at that moment. Feed my sheep, Peter. Hey, Peter, I got something special for you. Special assignment, feed my sheep. What happens shortly after that? Peter, the guy who messed everything up, the guy who took his eyes off Jesus in the storm and he began to sing, the guy who denied Christ three times. Guess who, what happened on the day of Pentecost? He preached the best message ever. And over 3,000 people were born into the kingdom of God on one message because of Peter proclaiming the word of God. What happened? God used the trials to strengthen his faith, to change him who he was going to become. Trials can reveal your strengths and faith in Jesus. That's why James, that's why James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way in James 1, 2. He said, consider it what, church? Pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, there's a word of God, many kinds. If you're in a trial, you can count on it as a joy because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In other words, you're, God's going to use it. And God's going to do something in it. 
And if you're, you're racked with pain right now, if you're just overwhelmed with, with hurt right now, I hope you understand that there is purpose in your pain. There is purpose in your pain. My God will never waste a hurt. He's always working in it. He's always working in it. He is always for you. He always loves you. And we always, he's always, always good. He's a good, good father. Trials reveal your faith. The second thing is, I hope you see it this way. That the trials can draw you closer to God. Trials draw you closer to God. In 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, it tells us that this directly, and I want you to watch the power of the language, the imaginary uh, that Peter uses, the imagery that, that Peter uses. He says it this way, that, that you love God even though you, you never see him through it or do not see him now. You, you trust him. Watch this. And he says, now remember who he's writing to, right? Remember who he's writing to. These are people that, that, that know that their cousin just got burned a candle the night before, their mom or dad or friend. They know that just somebody just got ate by a tiger or a lion. It's a pretty dark area. He says, you can rejoice with what? Glorious and expressible joy. In other words, a joy that can only come from heaven, that changes everything. Even though it's dark, it's bleak, it looks like there's no hope. Even though they, they may be coming to get you next, you can still have this glorious and inexpressible joy. And then he says this, this for the reward for trusting in him will be salvation of your souls. You see, the good news is, is that God saves us from our sins. God never, ever said that I will deliver you from your troubles. He just says, I save you from your sins. He never said, you won't have a migraine headache tomorrow. You never, you're not going to experience that pain of, of, of losing that or, or going through that. He never ever said you won't have financial difficulties or marriage problems. He never said, ever, ever said you're not going to fail a test. He never said you, you won't have to ha have a person at school that drives you crazy and, and you're just ready to punch them in the throat. He never said any of that. In fact, Jesus said the opposite of that. In John 16, 33, he said, Jesus said in the world, you will have what? Come on, say it with me, church. Trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The good news is not that he saves us from our trials. The good news that he saves us our souls and forgives us from our sins because he's overcame the world. And I also believe that God will often allow you to have more than you can handle as a Christ follower, because that teaches you to depend on him more. When you're hurting, you draw close to him. When you're desperate, you call on him because, let's be honest, for those of you with a false faith, that moment life, uh, okay, you, you don't need him anymore. You just do life without him. And I'm convinced there are some times when God allows you to be weak because in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. And he does things only God can get the credit for because we like credit, right? We do. We like credit. God will allow you to get to a place where you are so low and you can only do is to look up to him. And he will find, you will find him. And it will be a good moment. And when, when you press into him, you too can experience a glorious, inexpressible joy that changes everything. And here's how I know it's real. Because the pain, the pain of being alone is real. 
as a, as a pastor, you know, as, as, as a leader, as someone who tried to launch a church, you, you sort of take off in a trajectory and you just ask God to just do something only he can get the credit for. But when you trust other people and they, you lean in and you really think you're, you're being obedient and you find out you're, you're not where you need to be right there. Hey, you, you need to be here. I want you to be here, Jason. And so those friends that you trusted with take off and go this way. And now you're stuck here by yourself on an island. And like you said, hey, wait a minute. We'll, we'll never leave you. We'll never do anything. And then, and then they're gone. Those are some painful moments as a pastor. Sometimes there's moments as a pastor that you just get into, that you just, there's just nothing you can, who do you talk to about this? And it's painful. It hurts. Because people are looking up to you. And maybe in my own marriage where I mess up as a father, I mess up as a, as a husband. Because I know this, this affects my family. And I don't want my kids to hate God or going to church because I pour my life out and, and I do what I do because I, I love it. I don't do it for the tension. I just really love talking about God. But I don't want them to hate this because of my devotedness, my dedication. I know it affects them because I've watched it already. When, when people start to say things and, they just, you know, say things that they probably shouldn't, those, those, those little words, they nick away at you. And Satan sneaks in and he's like, I told you. I told you that was coming. And I'm just like, are you for real? I don't need you in my life today, Satan. Get behind me. But why does he jump on my back? Why does it hurt so bad? And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've sat here and questioned myself or cried. You're like, you're a big baby. Yeah, I am. I, I've just cried out and I've cried myself to sleep some nights. Saying, are you serious, God? We got to go through that again. We got to do what? I don't know how many more times I can do this, God. I don't know. I, I don't know. This one hurts. That one, that one really stung. Or maybe it's the moment when you lose that mother-in-law or, or mother. And for us in my family, it wasn't my mother-in-law. We watched cancer just devour her body. We cried out. And I remember crying. I didn't know what to do. I just cried. And I see my wife struggle with this still to the day. And she loves her mom as her best friend. And I see the pain in April when she dies. I know it's coming. I can see it coming literally in the second week of April. It's like her whole body just changes. I've came into my room before and I just see her on the ground crying because she yearns for her mother. And there's nothing that I can do to help her. The only thing I can do is be with her. Just put my hand around her and say, soon, just soon, and I know some of you are still dealing with that pain and that hurt. And some of you are just sitting there going, you're just, I got this on my own. I'm telling you, you don't. It's, we're better together. We're better together. We were designed to be together. The church is called to be different. 
Jesus wants you to be drawn into him because hurts and pain are real and they do have a purpose. They do. And it's because they want to change your life to change others. And here's what I, what I, what I want you to, to understand is our faith is not what we see. Our faith is in who God is. Our faith is in who God is. And at the same time, we hurt because it's real. And at the same time, we, we have human fears because we, we are human. And we have supernatural faith in the goodness of God. And what I want you to understand is, is, is we have in my house, in, in my family, in my family, a glorious, inexpressible joy that, that can only come from one thing. Heaven. Jesus. And if you know him, you'll understand it because it changes who you are. So if you're here today and you're hurting, first of all, I want you to know you're not alone. You are here because God loves you. So take a step towards him. And when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And God loves you so much that he brought you here to help you understand that you're not experiencing a trial because you're a bad or you're far from God, or you did something wrong. But he can actually use the, the trial to strengthen who you are, to conform you in the image of Jesus, and that you may not never be the same as you trust in him from here on out. So I'd just like to pause here before we jump into next week. And just, I know God's, God's got you here for a reason. I know some of you got some pain. And I know some of you have been through it. And you're still, you're still relying on who you are. Would it, be, would, it be, would it be possible to just take some minutes here as we sing this next song and just really just, just worship God with who we are. Designed to worship Him back. It just be open and transparent. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe you've already signed the document. I'm telling you, I believe in a God of restoration and reconciliation. He can rip that document right up if you choose to lean in. Maybe it's over a kid. Maybe it's financial. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what the hurricane of life looks like for you. Maybe you're in college right now and you're like, I do not know what my life's purpose is. And I'm just painful because I'm just alone. I feel alone. Maybe you feel alone. No one ever going to marry you. Or we can't have a child. You don't know what I know now. Let's lean in together and trust God to do something only he can get the credit for and change our lives first so we can go out and use the pain, the pain for a divine purpose to change other people's lives and to define who you are in him. So whatever it may look like, I'm just asking, can we lean in today? Can we trust him in this right here? Worship him. We just experience him to change our life so we can walk out and be different. Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing and how you're doing it, how you're changing lives. God, I just pray that in the midst of what we're doing, in the midst of the fires, in the midst of the, the storms, the wind, sometimes it gets so dark we don't, even, we don't even know if we can see any light or any hope. We're scared. We're fearful. 
and we sometimes deny you. We just run and we walk away. That's our human flesh. God, fill us full of your presence. Fill us full of your presence so we can fight the devil in a way that literally rebukes him. And may others come alongside us as the church, as the body. And we, we, we just become united as one. And we change lives together because we're stronger together. We're better together in the midst of a storm. God, I know there's people in this room that are hurting, and I pray for them. I pray you move them right now. God, I just ask for whatever you're going to do right here in the moment. Just do it. Allow people to draw near to you. And allow them to walk out of here a different person. In your name, amen.